Hey friends, welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and I'm really glad you guys are here today. And I'm super excited to get to introduce you to my friend, Caitlin Burnett. We are going to be talking about a really interesting, good, hard, and necessary topic. And that is handling heartbreak and doubt. But before we get into all the heavy stuff, Caitlin, say hi. Janine, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Oh, girl, it is my honor to have you on this podcast. We've been friends for quite some time, and you have such a way with words. And you have such a hard and comforting story, I feel like. So I knew when I started this little baby podcast that I had to have you on. So I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. You're so kind. (laughs) So uh, let's get into a few icebreaker questions so that the listeners can get to know you. Let's do it. Um, So why don't you introduce yourself? Share a little bit about who you are, where you live. Well, we're in Nashville, so. We are in Nashville. Spoiler alert, we're in Nashville. Yes. And um, what you do and maybe a fun fact. Yes. So as Janine said, I'm Caitlin. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, which doesn't ever get confusing at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love Asheville, though. Oh, like it's such a fun place. I I think it's one of those places that you like take for granted when you're growing up, Mm -hmm. and then you go back and you're like, "Wow, I'm from a cool place." Yeah, yeah. So loved it. Um, My parents still live there. I am a full-time writer. I work full-time in email marketing um, in a job that I love. I've lived in Nashville for about almost five years. I also get to write for other fun sites on the side, like She Reads Truth, Mm -hmm. um, the Abide Meditation app, and just so many other fun little projects that I get to do. Um, I basically say that I love to be, like, wherever the intersection of, like, words and people Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. I want to be there. That's awesome. Yeah. What's your fun fact? Are you ready? I don't know. (laughs) You might know this one. I'm not sure. We'll find out. Okay. Um, My fun fact is that I, oh gosh, I can't believe like I'm letting this be recorded. Mom, I'm sorry. Okay. I once auditioned. I do know this. (laughs) Okay. I knew. I was like, is she going to? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I once went to the open call auditions for The Bachelor. (laughs) I would legit remember this. It was just a few years ago. I mean, if I need justification for this, it was for Ben Higgins season. Okay. He loves Jesus a lot. He's really great. He's really tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just did it for the sake of doing it. And I think, you know, what's funny is, like, the reason that I thought about this was because they asked me for a fun mm-hmm. fact during the interview. Yes. And when I was there, I said that I looked like... <gasps> The emoji girl. Yes, you do. I remember. Okay, and I remember that because I think I saw you right after. Like you oh, literally yeah. came over to where I was. Yes. Right after the audition, and you told us about this. Yeah. So it was like before the update, before you could like customize all the emojis, and it was like the girl with the pink shirt and the dark hair, yeah. and her. She used to be called like the information desk girl or something really <laughs> obscure like that, but like to make her my own. That is hilarious. I actually 100% remember that. So that's really funny. <laughs> I'm really glad. Oh my gosh. Okay. So how do we know each other? And let me preface this one. We just got dinner at my favorite restaurant, which is Burger, Burger Up. <laughs> and we were kind of talking through the podcast and we both realized like we don't actually remember completely how we met each other. But like, how do you think we met each other? Okay, so there are kind of, like, three circles that I think of (laughs) that are, like, somehow our friend Jessica introduced us. Errington Vineyards was involved. And then the third section is Instagram. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that just kind of ties it all together somehow. Yeah. So, Jessica Wine Instagram. Yeah. Something about that combination. I mean, it's really how every great friendship should be born. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> here we are. You know, started from who knows where, but now we're here. <laughs> okay, one more question before we get into our topic. Where's your favorite place you've ever been and a place you're hoping to go? So my favorite place I've ever been is Florence, Italy. Really? I studied abroad there when I was in oh, college. Oh, yes. Um, I was there for a semester. And it's just, there's something so fun about, you know, the first time that you go abroad and you mm-hmm. go by yourself and you get to kind of make the place your own and feel like you're a local. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you can relate to a lot of those feelings. <laughs> But there was just something about, you know, the food and the culture and the art. Just everything was just so rich and fun and exciting, especially, you know, during my junior year of yeah, college. Yeah, so, what a dream. I love it there so much. <laughs> and where are you hoping to go? You know, I have never been to Ireland or Scotland. And oh, bless my friends. I know. My favorite places. I know. So I, I feel like they've always been on my list, but yeah. the more that I hear people talk about them, the more I really want to oh go. Gosh, put Ireland so high. Yes. Like, at the top, near the top, whatever. You did just go to London and Paris, though, and that was I pretty I did. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. We were there for Christmas, um, which was, I mean, oh incredible. Gosh, it was magic. Oh, well, when you go back to Europe, definitely definitely make your way to Ireland. Oh, I will. Hopefully I'll meet you there. Um, you know, I would be 100% fine with that. Okay. So you never know. It's a date. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our topic for this conversation we're having today is handling heartbreak and doubt, which is not an easy thing to talk about, but mm-hmm. a very necessary thing to talk about because not enough people talk about it, which ends up making a lot of us feel alone when we're walking through it. Part of your story is that you faced what is... I mean, arguably the most traumatizing kind of heartbreak just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that experience? It's funny because I think, like, even just jumping into this story, I already feel, like, those feelings of, like, oh, my gosh, this is not the story that I want to tell. And this is not the story that I want to be known by. And I feel like so many people have those, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, and they're Mm -hmm. not – they may not be talking about them on a podcast or Mm -hmm. with their friends. But I think that there is something so beautiful that happens when we do and we just, like, trust that – Jesus has gone before us. So basically my story, it it starts, I mean, when I was two and a half years old, my younger brother was born Mm -hmm. and I really don't remember my life before that. It was kind of at that pivotal time in your life where like your memories are just starting to be formed. And like, I've always just, I think one of the biggest ways that I've identified myself is as my brother Kendall's sister. Mm -hmm. And so I think I just always loved him so much, but also felt like just like that responsibility of being an older sibling and wanting to like watch him grow and be there for him and protect him from anything that could come about. And just like as we got older, especially like in our like late teens, college age, I think he was just really someone who I could call one of my very best friends. He knew me so well. And we had one of those relationships where a lot of our friends would kind of look at us and be like, what the heck? Like, we don't love our siblings like that. (laughs) Like, we're still fighting or, you know, we would still argue about dumb things. But I think at the core of it, we just really learned how to, like, love and appreciate each other. And I'm Mm -hmm. so, so grateful that we did. And there were just times in our life where 
I think, especially like maybe when he started dating or something where there were like other girls in the picture and I'd be like, wait a minute, like (laughs) I'm the older sister and Mm -hmm. like I'm in charge here. But I think I, I just remember specifically having this thought of like, I'm so lucky that I get to have him forever. And, like, these girls can come and go, and there's going to be heartbreak, but, like, siblings are forever. Mm -hmm. And um, just feeling like I was so glad. But I think also that when you love someone so much, there's always that fear that's Mm -hmm. not really, like, you know, there wasn't a huge reason why I should have thought that I would have lost my brother. And definitely the message that I want to tell with this story is not like listen to your fears because they're going to come true. But I think if you're feeling that way, I hope you'll like stick with us um, through the Mm -hmm. end of the story. Because even though I've been on both sides of the equation, like it didn't go the way that I thought. Mm -hmm. And um, I still think that there's so much hope to be had and things that I don't understand that I still believe to be better than they feel. Mm -hmm. So basically, Kendall was just, I mean, the most like frustratingly perfect guy (laughs) you've ever met. Like he was just so well-rounded. He was an Eagle Scout. He was in band. He played the trumpet and the piano and the guitar. He taught himself to play the bagpipes. Like he, yeah. Oh my gosh. We had to do like a senior project in high school and mine was like, you know, I learned to do like wedding photography or something and he wore a kilt in front (laughs) of our entire school and played the bagpipes. (laughs) And just like everyone loved him for it. He was just like that great guy that everyone wanted to be Mm -hmm. around and girls were always coming up to me like, how can I get with your brother? Like (laughs) he was just the best and he was also just the best brother like Mm -hmm. I just remember you know like I grew up living across the hall from him and I he was the room that I would go to in the middle of the night like Mm -hmm. he um was someone who even though he was two years younger than I was I really looked up to in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and so in 2014 I had just moved to Nashville to work for a ministry called She Reads Truth Mm -hmm. and I loved those girls. I loved the mission. I was so excited to finally kind of like live out the calling that I felt like God had placed on my life. And I was so excited to just like have a new beginning, a fresh start after college. And I had only lived here for a few weeks when I got that phone call that no one wants to get, um, that my brother had passed away in just the most random tragic accident. And it's one of those things that, like, when you love someone so much and you have thought about it before and been afraid of it, when you're actually in the moment, mm. you you can't yeah. fully grasp that it really is happening and that not only are you going through it, but my parents were going through it and his friends were going through it and his girlfriend was going through it. And so it really just rattled me to my core. Yeah. And it was really difficult in my faith because— it felt like there's no one that I had prayed for more than Kendall. Mm-hmm. And there was no other desire of my heart that God knew more than I wanted my little brother to be safe and happy mm-hmm. and um, joyful. And so I think it really just felt so oddly intentional. Like, not like intentional mm-hmm. about his death, but mm-hmm. just like I, I didn't really have any regret in terms of like, well, only if I had prayed more or believed more or loved more or anything. I really felt like I left everything out on the table and like God knew my heart and God knew what he was doing, even though I had no idea. And I was really angry about mm-hmm. it and still am angry about it <laughs> and still don't know. 
But yeah, it's just shocking to have to watch those events unfold in your own life and Mm. then have to watch what an unnatural event it is to watch your younger brother pass away and have to watch your parents grieve their child and you know people talk about that so much about how like that's the worst thing that you could go through and just to worry about your parents in that way is Mm -hmm. it really you were kind of worrying about all of it like obviously you were devastated Mm -hmm. in your own right but then you were also worried about parents and his friends and so there was so much on you in that. It was also just like, it. you know what, the root of that is all love. Mm-hmm. It was like, I loved yeah. Kendall. I loved the people that loved him. I it was the most heartbreaking thing to watch college students come over and sit with my grieving parents. But, but you know, also a picture of resilience mm-hmm. and hope and beauty of just like, we don't know what's happening, but somehow we're going to get through it mm-hmm. together. How did you find the strength and courage to keep living your life? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a question that I still ask myself a lot. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a process. It's yeah. not – I think um, I remember when Kendall passed away initially and I, you know, like in those – days that followed just feeling like the rest of my life feels so long Mm. without him and like this is not something that I expected that I would have to get through and you know like I was 22 (sighs) and I it it, it was a time in my life when people say it's just beginning and just Mm -hmm. feeling like everything was over Mm -hmm. everything that I had dreamed about my life and how you know like we were supposed to take care of our parents together when they were old and I was supposed to be the aunt to his children and just all the things that you dream about that suddenly come to a stop. But I think that, I mean, so time is the cliche thing that people always say, but I mean, I think it's true. It's so much of an ebb and flow of your feelings. And even I saw that with um, me and my parents. So my brother was my only sibling. And so it feels like you know, I'm suddenly an only child and I don't know what that's like. And my parents and I are very similar in some ways and very different in other ways. Mm -hmm. And so our grief journeys all looked very different, you know, like I think for them right away, they were like, let's go to counseling. Let's read these books. Let's do, Mm -hmm. you know, this laid out path for that other people have done that's proved to be successful. And I think I just felt more lost. Like I I didn't want to have to tell my story to other people and watch their sympathy unfold and Mm -hmm. just kind of a reminder that I was really alone in it. And, And I think one of the best things that I did was, I mean, not really that I did, but that God did was that I I came back to Nashville where I was working at She Reads Truth, where it was literally my job to read God's Word every day. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I don't know that I was really talking to God at the time. It was yeah. kind of like one of those, I really want to believe that you're good, but I can't look you in the eye right now mm-hmm. because I don't want to I don't want to talk about this. And I need you to get me through this, but I'm not ready to talk about the details and not ready to talk about the things that we both know but don't want to acknowledge. And so I think that God put me with so many strong women there who had also been through really difficult losses, Mm -hmm. who were kind of able to shine lights in my tunnel of saying, like, not just, like, everything's going to be okay and better, but, like, you can make it through today. 
And I think kind of just dividing things up into like the the next step, the Mm -hmm. next day, the next hour and having to have your grace for yourself. Um, I think I felt a lot of tension between have a very like positive bubbly personality and before all of this happened I thought that like God told me I was going to be a writer and I was going to write about joy and I think I just felt like I don't even know who I am anymore because my circumstances are not joyful right and so I think I I had to figure that out and I had to really own my grief. I think one of the things that I think about that people really showed up for my family, one of the stories that I love is that my parents and I spoke at my brother's funeral Mm -hmm. and we told the story of him only wearing yellow socks when he was younger. (laughs) He wouldn't wear like white socks or gray socks or any kind of athletic socks. And so my mom would have to buy these like multicolored packs of socks only for Kendall to wear the yellow ones. That is hilarious. And so we had told that as one of, you know, just like with the funny stories of talking about his life and someone who was there, I think it was a mom of one of Kendall's friends. Mm-hmm. A few weeks later, she sent all of us pairs of yellow socks. Oh. And it was just the sweetest thing. And she told the story like something had happened to her and it, it was kind of the same thing of like claiming something that the person loved. And so she, you know, just wrote a simple note and said like, wear these socks when you need to feel close to him. And... And that was such a beautiful thing, but I think also looking back, it was such a beautiful metaphor for owning my grief and being able to like stand in it and say like this really terrible thing happened to me, but somehow God is still with me and somehow these things that I grew up believing I think are still true, Mm -hmm. but also these really terrible things are true and I'm trying to figure out how to reconcile both of those and how both of them can be true at the same time. But also right now, I'm just going to be honest that things are hard. Yeah. And I think writing really helps me in that too of like... A way to process. A way to process. And at first it was just for me. And then I I think I really felt a need to to kind of show other people a different perspective of what my family and I were going through. Mm -hmm. Or even just to count the really good things that had happened in the mix of tragedy that you don't see on the news, that you don't read in an obituary. Um, And no one's really talking about it either. No one talks about it. I think, you know, I had seen people die young before. And, like, the last thing that I heard about their lives was on the news about the tragedy and that's common and I think that I just felt that I wanted Kendall's friends and family and even even just people that even knew a little bit about our story to know that there was more to it and know that that people showed up for us and there was Mm -hmm. still good even with the bad. Mm. You kind of touched on this a little bit but what kind of doubts did you experience or walk through after like maybe the dust started to settle and you were in that grieving process. There are so many, but I think something that really sticks out to me is, so when I was in college before Kendall passed away, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I would really like to work in ministry. I would really like to write in some capacity and tell mm-hmm. my story. And I, you know, I felt like I was supposed to write about joy and I was <laughs> supposed to write about, you know, finding peace in the Lord. But I remember going to this this writer and speaker conference for an organization that I was an intern for and watching all these women speak who were kind of ahead of me on the path that I wanted to take mm-hmm. and noticing that a lot of them had gone through something really, really hard. And I specifically remember telling God, like, if that's what it takes for me to do this, I don't want to do it. 
I appreciate the honesty. You know, it was like I would just so much rather live a comfortable life and like mm. maybe talk about you sometimes. But like if being called to write about you and speak about you is the same as, you know, risking my comfort, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think I thought there there were a lot of narratives going around in that, but I didn't want to be involved with if that was going to happen. But also I think part of me hoped that I think whenever I was on the other side of this and I was like, okay, something bad did really happen for me. But I believe that if I proclaim all of it for God's glory and I put on a really good show about where I am and that God is still good and that I still have hope, all the things that were still true. But you weren't really believing it necessarily at the time, right? Exactly. It wasn't resonating from the head to the heart, maybe. No, I think I thought, like, it. maybe if I just recite these things that I've grown up learning mm. in this really hard time, yeah. that somehow God would prevent me from facing more pain. Mm-hmm. And that maybe if I said that all of this was of Him and it was going to help me grow closer to Him, then I wouldn't actually have to feel the depth of my pain. Yeah. And so I think that I did that for a little while, and I thought, you know, okay, if I write about it, a lot of people have their attention on me because they want to know how I'm doing, how my family's doing. And, I mean, I still really believe all of the things that I said. I still believe, you know, a lot of it is, like, you have to proclaim things even if you don't feel them. But Mm -hmm. I think I also was kind of being God's PR girl to myself Mm. of like, I think I was really afraid to be honest with him Mm. about my doubt of like, I think I thought it was up to me to uphold his reputation. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something we're not supposed to carry, but right. Like, I think I thought that I doubted, like if maybe if I said that I didn't know, or if I was going through something, you know, that I wasn't sure if God was still good, that maybe I would stop believing in him, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that so many of those doubts were like, maybe if I let go of control, then he'll let go of me. Mm. And that wasn't true. No, it's like the opposite. Yeah. And so I think I had a lot of doubt thinking like, you know, once I had said those things and wondered like, what was actually God and what was actually me trying to give God positive publicity? Mm. Because he doesn't need me to do that. Once I started to do that, I think I was with some girlfriends one night. And I was like, I just want to be honest and tell you that, like, right now, today, Mm -hmm. I know I'm supposed to believe this. But what I'm feeling is something totally different. Mm -hmm. And it was so freeing. Mm -hmm. Because I think it just made me feel like I don't have to carry this. Like, Mm -hmm. I, God is still good without me telling him that he's good or telling other people that he's good. And um, I think that the most genuine stories have come out of my doubt and Mm -hmm. admitting it and saying, God, I really don't know how you're going to get me out of this, Mm -hmm. but I believe that you will. And he does. And usually not in a way that I expect or that I'd be looking for. And otherwise, if I had just not admitted that, I would have missed it. Yeah. I think that I would have made the story something different than the goodness that God actually has. Yeah. Your honesty is really refreshing. How have you continued the legacy of your brother? I hope in really good ways. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I think something that was really important to me when he passed away was that I find purpose in it. 
So in many ways, um, the things that we've done have kind of helped us feel that way. Mm-hmm. But also the things that I've done, I feel like are nothing in, in comparison to what God has done. Mm-hmm. And the people that he has ministered to me through mm-hmm. and the people that have shown up for me and, you know, my brother's friends who still check in on me and kind of treat me as their older sister. And there's nothing that I love more than that. And knowing that people are still reaching out, even though it's really hard and really awkward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of the things that my parents and I have done, um, well, the first is Kendall and his friends we're working on a book right before he passed away. And so we were able to um, self-publish that with some of his friends, which is just really exciting to kind of have something positive Mm -hmm. um, happen. I think that those things always feel more true to who Kendall was. And rather than, you know, like I think all of the other stuff, like the funeral and the flowers and like the cards and the casseroles are all like super sweet, but they didn't feel like Kendall. And so I think we all felt just super inspired to make a difference in the world around us. And so um, my parents and I started a foundation in his memory where we um, raise money for local nonprofits in Asheville, all Mm -hmm. causes that he was super passionate about. Like we've done some with the music programs that are the schools that we went to. We've done, um, Lots of other things just with the local community. We did a fundraiser with the local Mana Food Bank to send um, kids who don't have a lot of food with snacks in their backpack to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we started doing like a really fun um, Facebook fundraiser usually on his birthday. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I feel like has been really redemptive because it's a day that's traditionally really hard. Yeah. And to just see people rally together for good has been such a huge thing. Kendall is an Eagle Scout. And the phrase that I feel like embodies him the most is to do a good turn daily, which is part of the Boy Scout Mm -hmm. motto. And it's actually something that we have on his um, grave marker in the Mm -hmm. cemetery. So it's just something that's always inspired me and we've wanted to do for others. And so I'm excited to see the other ways that that'll happen. Mm -hmm. And And the incredible thing is it's not just me and my parents. He has friends who have like built houses in Africa in his memory or um, done really cool things at a school in Clemson University in his memory. And Mm -hmm. so it's it's really cool to see people kind of do their own good turns daily Mm -hmm. in memory of him. And then kind of this whole experience led me to write a book with three Mm -hmm. of my really great friends and we got to dedicate it to him Mm -hmm. which was really sweet and exciting well that's a great segue because you have that book coming out very soon yes it's called the book of comforts I guess the first question I have written down is kind of stupid now that I think about it but what most inspired you to write it (laughs) Um, I mean it's still a good question because I I think like that was the whole backstory for it but I think that what inspired me to write it was that I didn't feel like my grief journey was similar to other people who had gone before me or at least the people that I talked to. And a lot of it felt really isolating to me, mm-hmm. especially in, you know, I was working at She Reads Truth during the time in a place where they talked about how they really wanted to bring aesthetic beauty to the inherently beautiful gospel. And so really seeing the power of design and art and thoughtful writing mm-hmm. and how all of that can just bring God glory and um, reach out to people with truth in new ways. And initially, whenever 
I was looking for grief books, it was really hard because Mm. there were not that many that I liked. And I just so clearly remember this experience of like walking into a bookstore and kind of looking for grief books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're not the ones that are like in the front, (laughs) the bestseller list or anything. They're like tucked away in a corner that only a specific kind of person who really needs it is going to find. And they are black and white and gray and just dull and depressing. And like, obviously, that's how you feel. And so it makes sense. But I think kind of putting those two experiences together of, you know, if I really believe that suffering is the place where God is beginning redemption and where he is doing his best work and showing us who he is and how he loves us Mm -hmm. and refining us and bringing himself glory, I don't think that we need ugly books for that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, to say the least, much less, like, I don't think we need such a stigma around Mm. suffering. And I think that that's something that I really experienced, especially in the Christian community, of um, Mm. just feeling so isolated. And I think whenever I was reading God's Word and realizing that suffering is pretty much guaranteed Mm -hmm. when you're a Christian— Yet no one's actually talking about it. Yeah. And and I think it made me wonder, like, how many people are going through a really similar thing to me, but they think that they're also yeah, they alone. I feel like they're so alone. When I was looking around all of these beautiful books, I just remembered, like, such a gap between me and, like, you know, walking into anthropology and seeing these travel books and mm-hmm. cookbooks and just, like, beautiful experiences captured and feeling like I have to be living a different life to be ready, worthy of this kind of book. Like, I'm going to clean up my life and then it's going to look like this yeah. and then I'm going to be like everybody else. And, and that's just not true. I think that the more that I was honest about my grief the more that I realized that everyone's going through some type of pain. Yeah. And that they probably feel pretty alone in it. Mm-hmm. And, that you know, there were a lot of people that when I told them about my story, they were like, oh, my gosh, I could never imagine. I've never experienced something so awful, you know, or just like, which are all super, super kind things to say. Like, I feel like they're only trying to tell me that I'm going through something terrible and they realize it mm-hmm. and they're so sorry. But what I heard was like, you are the only one that's going through this and no one will ever relate to you. Mm -hmm. But whenever I got to write online and I, you know, people would reach out to me and say, I'm going through something really similar. And I'm so glad that you talked about this because I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And, you know, I read some grief books that were by other people and I just felt like this journey is totally different than mine or their advice didn't really work for me or I believe in the gospel. I don't totally believe in, you know, this 12-step, 13-step, 14-step grief journey that I'm supposed to be on. Like, it's just not linear in the way that these books are talking about. And Mm. so I thought, you know, where's the book for me? Yeah. And and not so much as just, like, a book, but, like, where do I belong? Mm -hmm. And where does my— question. Yeah. yeah. Where does my story belong in terms of the gospel? And and I think the truth is that it belongs in a really beautiful place, and we don't really— recognize that but it's like you know the resurrection required jesus's death Mm -hmm. it required a tomb it required fear it required grief and loss and the ultimate pain yeah and it's just like not where the story ends Mm -hmm. and so 
whenever I was working with this, these people at She Reads Truth that kind of started talking about this. And we wondered, like, you know, we really loved working together. And if we were going to kind of put all of our skills together, what would we want to do? And mm-hmm. this was my passion project that I just really wanted the world to be able to have. And so I wrote this book with three other people, Rebecca Ferris, who you'd recognize from She Reads Truth. Mm-hmm. She's done all sorts of things there, but she was a contributing writer to their devotionals and also the She Reads Truth Bible. Her husband, Caleb Ferris, is an incredible illustrator, and he also writes for He Reads Truth. Mm -hmm. They were the people that I was with the day that I found out that my brother passed away. And Rebecca is the one who drove me from Nashville to Asheville. And, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back on that day, it's like this is the day that we started writing the book. Mm -hmm. And this is the day that God was also already beginning to redeem my pain somehow, even though... I can only see a tiny, tiny glimpse of that, but it's enough to keep me going. And then Simone Wilder, she's responsible for so many of the gorgeous images at She Reads Truth, and she's an incredible designer and hand letterer. And so when I thought about making a book that was really beautiful and kind of put suffering in the place of something that is worthy of good design and beauty and goodness and truth, this was the team to do it. Yeah. And I'm just so excited. (laughs) Um, I'm excited. What are your hopes for it as it it makes its way into the world? Yeah. So there, I feel like there's three things that we wanted to be really intentional about in setting this apart from other grief books that you Mm -hmm. might be familiar with. The first thing is that it's, it's just true. Like it's based on the gospel. There's scripture references all throughout the book. There's scripture art. There's scripture illustration. There are devotionals that are long and short and whatever kind of length that you're looking for, we wanted it to be accessible for where you were each day. And so it's the kind of book that you can open and just start wherever you feel led or you can read it from beginning to end. We really hope that you'll, you know, keep it out on your coffee table. Which brings me to the second point, which is that it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's not the black and white and gray. It's navy and gold and just the most beautiful colors and illustrations and photography and things that are really comforting and Mm -hmm. really complement the scripture and bring it alive in a really beautiful and new, fresh way. And um, Simone and Caleb did just such an incredible job. Another thing that we had in mind when we were creating this was that we wanted it to be something that you would feel good about giving to one of your friends that was going through a really hard time. And so don't really know what to say or do whenever someone's going through something really difficult and you're afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing or you don't really know if you should go over to their house. And this is something that we want you to feel good about having in your hands You know, having a sash in your house whenever your friend is going through a disappointment or a loss or any type of hardship that they're going to feel comforted by it. And you're going to know that it's something that you can trust because it's the truth. Yeah. And um, the third thing is that it was written by three of us and then designed by a fourth. And so it's not just one person's story that you may or may not relate to. to, Because we don't want the center of this book to be about us. We want it to be about God's word and Mm -hmm. the truth. So we wrote it collectively because we believe that we grieve collectively and we hope Mm -hmm. collectively. So each of our essays talk about various circumstances that we've been through, but it's not just a grief book. It's not just a book about disappointment or pain or illness or parenting or marriage or singleness or any of these 
circumstances that we relate to, we start with some of those things. But between our group, we have so many different circumstances. And what we really want to lead people to is the hope that covers all of them and the hope that we can all look to. And so I really hope that it's something that will bring comfort to people Mm -hmm. and that people will feel comfortable giving their friends or keeping on their coffee tables and that it will be something that will open up a more honest conversation about what you're really going through Mm -hmm. and how we can find genuine comfort in these times that are really unexpectedly hard. Yeah. What encouragement do you have for others who are walking through their own heartbreak and doubt and grief? I mean, you're not alone is the biggest thing, and hope is true. Mm -hmm. It sounds like such a simple thing, but I think that when you're in the thick of it and you don't know which way is up and how to get out of something or how you Mm -hmm. even got there or, you know, your life has suddenly been turned upside down, that you wonder if the things that you've grown up believing are true. Mm -hmm. They are. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that God is going to show up in unexpectedly wonderful ways And also, you're probably going to go through unexpectedly hard things, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that he's not the same God that he promised that he would be, and he's not so good. Yeah, he like he, he's not surprised by this, and he but he is also grieved by yeah whatever you're going through. Yeah. And it always reminds me of the scripture, which is that he takes everything and uses it for good. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that makes no sense to us. None in the moment, and it's always retrospective when you look back and you say, "Oh, yeah, he took this really ugly, hard, dark, heartbreaking thing and made something really beautiful out of it." Yeah, right. For sure. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. And for just like pressing in because that's not easy. It would have been a lot easier to just totally disengage. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah. And you pressed in and I'm really proud of you for doing that because I I can't imagine how hard. Thank you. Well, coming to the end. So I got to ask my three questions that I ask everyone. And you know what? Actually, I also want to say thank you for sharing because I know that pain isn't something that most people want to talk about, mm-hmm. but you're an Enneagram 7, <laughs> so you definitely don't want to talk about it. I mean, sorry, is that a, is that a, like a, oh. a little bit of a generalization? No, it's very true. <laughs> I feel like it is a very strange thing that is happening mm-hmm. that this is what I am called to talk about but here I am doing my best so first question I love this question because there's such a wide range of answers I've gotten so far so I can't wait to hear yours knowing what you know now what would you tell yourself at age 20 so that was what like seven years ago seven years ago yeah I mean I feel like in context of the conversation that we just had you know like when I was 20 was probably the season where I was closest with my brother Mm -hmm. when I was probably the most afraid of losing him, but had no idea that I actually would. Yeah. I, I think of it as a really dark season of anxiety mm. and fear about the future. And I mean, I think that what I would say is like, even if your worst fears come true, it doesn't mean that the gospel isn't true. Mm. You know, things may be worse than you expected, but that also means that there is the capacity for them to become more hopeful than you expected. Mm-hmm. No matter what you walk through, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because, like, isn't that what you need? Like, I think I always wish, like, okay, can my, like, 37-year-old self tell me something today that I'm going to make it? Be so nice. Exactly. And you are going to make it. I'm going to make it. Yeah, we are. We're going to do it. It's going to be okay. Exactly. Who or what is inspiring you lately? Okay, well, I think (laughs) that, no, I feel like everything's going to be grief-related, but here I go. (laughs) Um, Cheryl Sandberg, have you Mm -hmm. read her book, option B. No. Okay. So she, she, you know, worked at Facebook. Mm -hmm. She wrote the book lean in that was about women in the workplace and kind of how to lean into your strengths and your worth in a male dominated field. Well, she, um, lost her husband unexpectedly a few years Mm -hmm. ago. And then she, her second book that she wrote was called option B. And it was, maybe the first grief book that I read that I loved. Really? Um, Because it was, I think that our personalities were so similar in that her response was kind of adrenaline fueled. Like I think people talk about when you go through grief, you're just not going to get out of bed for months. Mm. And my experience was kind of the opposite of like, I needed to make meaning of this and continue my brother's legacy and make something out of my life and make this pain worthwhile. Yeah. And the book is called Option B because there was a story where I think that her kids were having, like, a daddy-daughter day or, like, some some event where their dad should have been there. But he wasn't because he had passed away. And so one of their, like, friends or uncles or someone went with them kind of as the stand-in. And they said, like, well, if we can't have Option A, we're going to kick the shit out of Option B. <laughs> and I just love that because I think that... It, it was also really inspiring for me to see a woman who's so powerful and inspiring and someone that a lot of people look up to also be really honest about the same pain that I resonate with. Yeah. And I think that it's easy to feel alone and isolated. And, and even there are some things in the book where she took things back that she said in Lena. And like, mm-hmm. she said, you know what? I said that women should be able to do this, this, and this in the workplace. And like, now that I'm a single parent and that I've had these totally different experiences, I realize that that's not everyone's story and that mm-hmm. that's not possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think that she's just someone who has really been in kind of the grief space that has been a f- breath of fresh air mm-hmm. to me that she's doing cool things and she's making the most of it but she's also being really honest along yeah. the way and I think yeah. that that's something that I really aspire to do so yeah. I think that if you know you resonated with this conversation at all checking out her books or website or she just has so many good resources for helping like your loved ones show up for people who are Mm. grieving or hurting or how to face the holidays or just really practical things that are helpful okay last question in your opinion what makes someone a wild heart it's such a good question and i love 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 i mean obviously when i think of a wild heart i associate it with you oh (laughs) um But I think that it could mean so many, so many things in so many ways. And I love that it can kind of, it's something that you can carry with you Mm -hmm. over many seasons and can mean different things. To me, what it means right now is showing up for people that I love, regardless of circumstance 
I feel like recently a few of my really good friends have watched their own grief journeys and it's just been so heartbreaking to watch because I know that I've been there Mm -hmm. and the pain that I've felt and I would never wish that on anyone else. But also realizing that I feel so powerless and still don't feel good at this Mm -hmm. or don't feel like I know what to say. But I do remember the importance of showing up for people and the people that were just willing to be there no matter how awkward it was or if they knew what to say. So I think that just boldly showing up and also boldly showing up in my own life, just being honest and open. And even though I always kind of growing up thought I was supposed to talk about (laughs) joy and just be the joy girl that that can change. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's more powerful now to be the joy girl, knowing that I've been through something really yeah. hard. You know, it's like the, the joy feels more hard won. Yeah. And, and that's because I've been wild with my heart and mm-hmm. just been able to um, be honest about when things are hard. and But also be honest when things are, you know, feeling a little bit better one day. Or I'm remembering a really fun memory about my brother and, like, I want to share it with somebody yeah. even if I'm not really sure how they're going to respond. Or telling someone how much they mean to me even though it might be kind of weird. <laughs> or, you know, just, like, yeah. I, I think just being genuine and yeah. showing up for showing people. Up. Girl, well, thank you for showing up today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, I just adore you, and I really appreciate you being willing to share such a hard part of your story. But in doing that, I feel like you're really honoring your brother's legacy, mm-hmm. too. And um, I'm just really proud of you and really grateful for your friendship. <laughs> thank you. I'm so grateful for your oh, friendship. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having I me. Love you, too. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wild Hearts with Janine. I hope that through my conversation with Caitlin, you have found yourself encouraged and equipped with tools that you'll be able to use if you ever find yourself walking through a season of heartbreak, doubt, or grief. And if you're looking for more information on Caitlin's book, The Book of Comforts, coming out later this month, be sure to check out the show notes. We'll see you back here in two weeks when I'll be sitting down with my friend Ashley Real, where we'll be talking about why kindness is key and the power that comes in choosing to share love everywhere. Until then, keep dreaming, seeking, and stepping out in faith. <laughs>